0: Live from Chicago, you're listening to Opera Box Score. Uh...
1: Welcome to Opera Box Score. I'm your host, George Cedarquist, And wherever you are, however you're listening, thanks for joining us. We are America's talk radio show about opera, period. No one talks with you about opera week in, week out like we do. And once more on our show, you get to have your say live on the air. Call us on 847-866-WNUR. That's 847-866-9687. Or you can leave us a message on 224 219 box again excuse me 224218 Nine two six nine. Tell us what your opinion is on our Chalk Talk segments, show off by taking our opera quiz, or get in the ring and referee our TKO segment. On tonight's show, I team up with my co-hosts Oliver Macho Camacho and Giovanna Buy Me a Drink, Jacques, to talk you through ten contemporary composers who have just been added to the most performed list in the Opera Guide, the world's definitive list of who's who in opera. But will we agree on who should be on the list and how they should be ranked? Stick around to find out. Plus, in 15 minutes, I've got all your opera headlines, Oliver's got a performance review potpourri, and at the bottom of the hour, Giovanna shows off in an all-new lightning round format for our opera pop quiz. Let's do this. We are live. No edits, no filters. Kickoff is next. Keep it locked right here, right now, on WNUR 89.3 FM, Evanston, Chicago, and Opera Box Score. Shock talk, talk
0: on Opera Box Score. With George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho, and Giovanna Jacques.
1: Welcome to WNUR 89.3 FM. Welcome to Opera Box Score. Welcome to Oliver Camacho.
2: Oh. Welcome to Oliver Camacho, yes. This is Oliver Camacho.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oliver Camacho speaking. Uh, How are you, sir?
2: I'm well. Good. This is going to be a very tricky show for me because it's a topic that I'm notoriously bad at, so... Oh, interesting to hear how this goes.
1: I, I think you're going to be just fine. Yeah, pop my mic. Your mic is good. I I, I think feel like you want coming make, in and out. So. You, are, you are coming in and out. Maybe don't don't touch it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounded really. You guys dirty, are always telling it, me that it wasn't supposed Especially to sound the <laughs> like that. Uh, Giovanna, how's life with you?
3: I'm good. I'm glad to be back in the studio. It's been a long time.
1: It has been Mm -hmm. a long time. Yes. We're glad you're here as well. Me too. Let us get right to it. We've got a big show tonight. We have one chalk talk that we're splitting into two parts. And as I said in the intro, um, a book has just been published. This is the fourth or fifth edition of this book. Uh, And it is called The Opera Guide. It's written by Amanda Holden, who is an English music critic, and what the book does is basically gives its readers backgrounds on a 100 important opera composers, and there's kind of a history to it. This book originally started off, it was written by a man called Kobe, and it was called The Complete Opera Book, and this was started in 1976. I have a copy of this, actually.
2: Not the new one.
1: Uh, No, no, not the new one. No, the old one. And uh, it featured 109 composers, but it went only as far as Benjamin Britten's Death in Venice, uh, because it was written in 1976. It's been updated numerous times since then, and now 10 composers have been added to the book and uh we are going to reveal to you who these 10 composers are we're going to introduce you to their work and we're going to debate in the second part of the show whether or not they really should be in this book or if there's somebody better out there so oliver can i pass the conductor's baton to you to take us through our first trio
2: so for those of you who are um listening near your computers, uh, you can go ahead to The Guardian and probably put in a search engine for uh, Amanda Holden and The Opera Guide, and you'll get this article that uh, sparked or piqued our interest for this um, segment. Uh, She has named uh, 10 composers to be added to this list, and we're going to run down these 10 composers. I'm going to start with the three Americans that made the list. Uh, The first... Uh, is somebody uh, that actually has a strong relationship to Chicago's operatic scene. That's William Bolcom. Uh Bolcom had three operas commissioned by Lyric Opera of Chicago uh, back in the days when artist Kranick was our general director. Uh, that was McTeague, The Wedding, and, oh, my God, a View from the Bridge, I want to say. That's right. Okay. Yes. Um, but i actually know him from before his opera or apart from his opera composing days as the collaborating pianist with his wife mezzo-soprano joan morris and um i i'm sort of a record collector and uh, i have some of these recordings of them singing the american songbook and i would like to think that uh william bocum uh is particularly adept at writing for The Voice because he plays for his wife so much and he knows what The Voice can do and he has such a strong familiarity with the American songbook and the American musical theater. And so uh, maybe, you know, that makes him, uh, you know, a composer who understands, you know, how to be lyrical uh, with his melodies.
3: Which is harder, harder to do then yeah oh i
2: know i mean there's so many composers that are you know popping out of the woodworks who are you know writing operas for the first time getting them produced uh because they're famous composers and we find that you know that these this music is very hard to sing and yes there are singers out there who have these crazy techniques like barbara hannigan who can do anything but uh you know regular singers (laughs) you know who study bel canto and study mozart uh have to sing these crazy intervals and extended technique stuff and it's not always so pretty
1: well let's take a listen what do you have for us
2: um, we're going to listen to an excerpt of a, a one-act uh, comedy chamber opera that's written for five voices and two pianos, I want to say. Uh, this is going to be uh, an um uh, This is Paul Appleby uh, singing from the one-act Lucrezia.
4: I see the and make everybody cry. I have neither family, nor friends, not a person here holds me dear. My life is very low, no one would ever know, if I were to disappear, I
3: Where's that Ray Spanish Henry. influence
2: yeah. coming from? Well, this is, a com- I believe, this is a comedy, and this is often paired with uh, John Musto's uh, Bastionello. They do this as a double bill, and uh, that is, uh, you know, designed to be performed in a chamber setting with two pianos as opposed to an orchestra. And I think it's very smart these days to think about uh, composing an opera specifically for piano and two pianos. Yes, it's hard to fit two pianos in some places, but at least you can get more sound and more of like an operatic, you know, ambiance with two pianos. Uh, at any rate, um, you can hear that there's like a clearly almost like an influence of like Carmen or sort of Spanish yeah, music or yeah, something right. like that something. and that music. And that's, you know, that shows that, you know, Bolcom knows the audience and what, you know, what my, I, I don't know this show, I'll, I'll confess. But it sounds like it could be funny and it sounds like it's well written for the voice and it shows off Paul Appleby quite beautifully. Uh, that's from a studio recording you can find on Amazon. Uh, the next composer that made the list is everybody's favorite composer, Jake Heggie. Yeah. A renowned homosexual uh, who is beloved by. Uh, Bully for him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, uh, what's this guy? Sam Sam, Sam Smith. Sam you know? Smith. First, he's the first homosexual composer. That's not true, but what? Those, those of you who are gay out there understand my joke. So, okay. Dustin Lance Black, leave my boyfriend alone. Um, so. Uh, t- What's his name? Dustin Lance Black. Jake Heggie has written many different genres of opera. Uh, He's known for uh, mostly for the Dead Man Walking adaptation. But he's also done, uh, you know, chamber opera like Three Decembers and comedy like Great Scott and more grand opera like uh, Moby Dick and End of the Affair, all of which were commissioned by major American opera companies. And, uh, yeah, Jake Heggie. Uh, is beloved, like I said, by the American singers, especially the lyric mezzo sopranos and baritones, and he seems to write for those voice types particularly well.
3: He's very easy to listen to as well, which is not a common thing with with yeah. He some loves he people. loves melody.
2: Yeah, yeah, he really does. Yeah, and yeah. his his music, you know, often sounds like film score, uh, which is it's not a corn gold of America. yeah, which is not a bad thing actually, because I think most uh, modern audiences are. You know, more used to hearing film score and how, yeah. that, how that relates to, you know, the drama on stage than they are to some of this more experimental stuff. All mm. right, let's take a listen. What uh, do you got for this it? This is uh, the famous kind of reconciliation of uh, Sister Prejean and Joe de Rocher, uh, Joseph de Rocher uh, in the second act of Dead Men Walking. Uh, has the most important line, the line of. It's
4: such a bad thing, sister. Chosen. Maybe my dying. Giant- Give them folks some relief. Sister Helen, when they do this thing to you,
0: Sister Helen,
4: I want you to to look at Sister Helen.
1: Now you're telling me that is cinematic. I mean, hear those strings. That really yeah. is like uh, Eric Korngold.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. And the third American to make – oh, that was, by the way, Susan Graham and uh, John Packard, I want to say, from the original uh, cast recording from, I believe, it was San Francisco that first produced that opera, um, Patrick Summers. Uh, the next composer we have on the list from the US, USA, USA, is, uh, is Tobias Picker. I
3: thought you were going to say Tobias Wright for a second. <laughs>
1: Aww, it, Tobias to- Wright is, is dead he still to still
3: we miss you so much. Come Does back he... from
2: Florida. Um, anyway, Tobias uh, Picker, uh, one of the things that's in his bio that's sort of Bizarro is that he has been diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome, and I'm not making fun of that at all. But, uh, Why are you
3: smiling then? He, well,
2: he's mentioned uh, that, he, that there are tourette elements to his music. So, oh, I, I see. Um, unfortunately, I did not pick a clip for us that uh, has a Tourette's moment. But his uh, major operas that he's known for are um, Emmeline and Thérèse Raquin. And most recently, um, an adaptation, adaptation of uh, Dolores Claiborne, which premiered at San Francisco Opera, Uh, He also uh, created American Tragedy and a comedy, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I think it's a comedy. (laughs) Based
1: (laughs) based on the Roald Dahl uh, children's story. Right, right. Is that a comedy? Yeah, it is. It is in the way that Roald Dahl is funny to children and adults alike. Wasn't
3: Steve Carell in the movie of that?
1: No, it was, uh, George Clooney to oh. this Wes Anderson animation. Oops. But that's by the by.
2: <laughs> so we're going to hear uh, the baritone aria known as the painting aria from Therese Racan. Uh, this is just like the first minute and a half of it. Uh, Christopher Maltman from a live performance. She
4: was-
3: That's really cinematic, too.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm not that familiar with Tobias Picker's music. I don't know, you, uh, George, maybe you're a little bit more uh, international here.
1: I mean, I know Fantastic Mr. Fox, and I've actually emailed with Mr. Picker.
2: Oh, your email buddies. That's Yeah. Like the it's like modern exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It is. He was
1: extremely nice. Like, there's no reason for him to write back to me, really. He also is the artistic director at San Antonio Opera. Uh, and just a general, all-around nice guy and great composer. Oh.
2: Well, I shall make it a point to listen to more, especially because I love Christopher Maltman and his beautiful um, back end, which some of you might know what I'm talking about from that movie Don Juan. He's just bare delicious.
1: So those are the three American composers that have been added <laughs> to the on. roster here. Yes, but uh, we lost
2: a couple Americans off of this list.
1: So. We did, yes, and we should we should talk about that right now. Uh Mark Adamo. The composer of uh, the opera Mary Magdalene that was at San Francisco Opera a couple of years ago—he is out and he is not on that list anymore. Douglas Moore is also gone from the list. How well, does
3: one get voted off the list? Uh,
2: like she's voted trying, the she's trying to keep it off. She's trying to keep it to hundred. So,
3: ah,
1: well, and if you're not producing work, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, in Mark's, ba- in Mark's case, that's not true because he uh, he has been doing work. We'll get to this in a minute. I, I think been that's There has to a time unfair. when
2: Ballad of Baby Doe was the most performed American opera. I mean, I know it's not anymore, but yeah, I imagine there
1: By was. By Douglas time. Moore. Yeah. Yeah. The so,
3: ballad yeah. is is still performed at every single audition.
4: I want every to move on to the, so. the
1: next trio of uh, – composers here and this is a trio from not england but the uk and giovanna you're going to talk us through that yes yeah go for it
3: my first is gerald berry who is an irish composer he was born in 1952 and i am proud to announce that all three of my composers are still alive Which actually, I think many of them are, but I'm going to go ahead and say that. You know what? Whatever, (laughs) whatever. I want mine to be the most alive. (laughs) Um, He's most recognized for the importance of being earnest, which is also his most recent opera and arguably his biggest hit. Um, What I found interesting interesting about Mister Barry was that he grew up completely unexposed to music. All he ever—the only way he could ever hear music growing up was through the radio. And so he would say that when the radio would come on and, and he'd hear a, a, a lady's voice, his head would just explode with ideas. And that that really produced this incredible Irish composer that we have today. And he's nothing like any of the Americans that we just heard. Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of contemporary con- composers are concerned with creating an a craft of transition or, or something that really has beautiful meltings and meldings from one sound to another. But Barry is really m- about going with sharp edges and something that's very unpredictable. Um, so let's listen to a clip of The Importance of Being Earnest, shall we? I
4: suppose a man may need in his garden. But you just it was Ooh, it I said it was under the circumstances, I wish you would go. I'll be christened at a quarter to six. I am being christened at 5.30. We can both be christened earnest in such <laughs> You are eating
0: my again.
4: I wish you would warrant! I told you I was fond of muffins, but I hate tea cake! <laughs> mom, I don't want you here. Why don't you go? But there's still one muffin left.
1: That has to be the absolutely weirdest thing I've ever heard. I,
2: oh, no, we've got weirder coming up. Well, well yeah. Oscar oh, yeah. Wilde
1: must be absolutely rolling in his grave. Well, I cannot imagine his text and those jokes set to music that is atonal. Is that maybe that's the idea and that is the joke? I, I get that. I
3: think part of it is the joke, yeah. It's that it's so, so not wild.
2: But I think is that the, the dialogue in Oscar Wilde sometimes ha- happens so fast and there's so many jokes and what – this composer, what's his name again? Barry. <laughs> what he's done Jorals is kind of separated Barry. the beats between, you know, the dialogue. So it makes you think about each line a little bit more. I don't know if that's the way wild is meant, meant to be heard. You Let's know? just say
3: it's not smooth listening.
1: We're gonna step Let's aside for on. one second here. We have a couple oh, PSAs to pass over. You get your chance, Giovanna. Don't <laughs> worry. I also <laughs> want to tell you that we are in the middle of Phoneathon right now. Phoneathon is WNUR's annual fundraising campaign, and from now till March seven, we ask listeners like you to donate to the station. Your generosity funds WNUR and allows us to stay on the air and be commercial free and to continue bringing exposure to underrepresented music and ideas. Now, unlike other, other user-funded radio stations, we here we only solicit donations once a year. This is the only time this happens, guys. And it's really important that you can give tonight. Your contribution will not go unrewarded. We have a ton of great merch and swag and call it what you will. It's not on an Oscar level. Did you guys see the swag bags at the Oscars? I Those mean. are... Those are gross. Um, Did you know that... Su- oh, we'll talk about it But we do answer. have caps and T-shirts and sweatshirts and coffee mugs and probably a pencil and a whole bunch of music and tickets to give away. You're going to want to make your call. The number, 847-491-3655. Operators standing by to take your call. Please give generously. This is your time to shine. We're going to step away for one second right here on 89.3 FM and Opera Box Score.
0: You're listening to Opera Box Score.
1: Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score. Whether you're allergic to opera or you're a devoted fan, our show is for you. We tackle the week's opera headlines and body slam them into a sports radio setup. The results, 60 minutes of play-by-play analysis, exclusive interviews, and scandalous opinions. Plus the heroes, villains, and stats from this crazy art form that we love and love to complain about. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR.
0: Chalk Talk on Opera Box Score with George Cedarquist, Oliver Camacho,
1: and Giovanna Jacques. We are back on Opera Box Score 89.3 FM, W-N-U-R-Evanston Chicago, also streaming live WNUR.org slash pop-up. Giovanna Jacques in the studio with us. Hey, Giovanna. Hi. And Oliver Camacho. That's me. Oliver Camacho has talked us through three American composers that have joined the roster of the new top 10 in the book, The Opera Guide. Giovanna's done the first one, Gerard Berry, and now she's going to give us the next two from the UK.
3: Yes, my next one is George Benjamin, who is quite the 180 from uh, Gerald Berry. Uh, he was born in 1960 in England, in London, actually a kind of an English national tra- treasure. He was a child prodigy, worked with Miss Ayan, worked with Boudet, like just was so, so had so many resources available to him from a very young age. Um, you can hear the French influ- influence in his music. Though he claims that his travels to India have actually had the most impact and inspiration in his music. Interesting. Um, In his most recent piece, he's put cannibalism, suicide, sex, and murder on stage. Yeah, the same show. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And an opera called "Written on Skin" uh, that we are about to hear an excerpt from, and we will be hearing Barbara Hannigan as Agnes or Agnes. And Bejune Meta as Angel One and this is from the Aix-en-Provence Festival in two thousand twelve.
1: This show was a huge deal when it opened in London a couple years ago. And, I man, I really want to see it so Everybody's bad. Everybody's
2: talking about this show. Yeah, it, it Sounds like a barrel reviews. of laughs,
3: doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. it? Sounds like a real comic
2: opera. But that was Barbara Hannigan, who we mentioned earlier in the, in the show. She mm-hmm. is like the new music diva. And mm. this woman has a crazy instrument. She always has a beautiful tone. But she does a, insane things with her voices, With her voice. Mm. With her one voice. It's just... <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. I will say one last thing about George Benjamin. He's really... He's really so precise in his in his use of tone, right? So he, he loves to find the midpoint between two tones. Um, he gets as precise as a, as a seventh of a sixteenth of a tone, which is really quite quite crazy. And he loves to Are you use technology. About like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: intervals. Yeah. Sorry. Tuning. And but can singers really do that?
3: No. That's why he uses um, a lot of electronic. Um, like kind of synthesizers and panpipes, digital technologies alongside human musicians to kind of really narrow that down, which I think is interesting. Huh. Moving on, um, my last but not least of the of the UK composers is Jonathan Dove, who is definitely the one that I had heard the most about when I was doing the research here. He was born in 1959. They're all about the same age uh, to architect parents. Uh, he started by playing the piano, organ, and viola, but the opera and the voice have been central priorities in his career pretty much since the moment he started. His breakthrough hit was Flight, which is a comic opera about an Iranian who lived in the Charles de Garde airport, the Paris airport, for 17 years, and it was uh, commissioned by glindenborn um, He was very prolific, and he has had probably, of all, of all three of these UK composers, the most I would say the most exposure in houses across the world so let's listen to a little section of flight which is uh the countertenor patrick terry is the one who will be hearing right now
1: You know, Flight is another show that was just so huge when it first came out, Mm -hmm. and it's down now to the point where that show was done in, like, schools of music, Mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of the great equalizer, I guess. I would love to see it again. I would actually love to direct it.
3: Yeah. For those of us who are unfamiliar, a countertenor is is indeed a male singer. If anyone was listening to that and was slightly confused as to whether that was a man or a woman, a countertenor just is a very high, high man's voice, uh, just to clarify that.
1: Thank you, Giovanna, for talking yeah. us through those Did you meet Patrick Cherry when
3: he was here doing
2: Midsummer's Night, Midsummer Night's Dream? No, I didn't. Okay, with the uh, Chicago Summer Opera? Okay.
1: No. No, I, did I didn't, you? unfortunately. Yeah,
2: I did. He came to the Liederstube. He's an amazing singer. He actually yeah. sang uh, Strauss's Morgan, which is not something you would yeah, expect yeah, a yeah. countertenor to sing. Wow. And I have to say it was one of the best things I've ever heard in the Liederstube, and I've heard a lot of great singing in there. Mm. So. Great.
1: George. I'm going to wrap up the segment here. We've got... Uh, four composers that are from europe you know if you're listening to this list and you are from oh i don't know south america africa asia or australia you're probably rather annoyed because nobody from those continents is is represented on this list so I, i i question that already
2: or antarctica
1: or antarctica yes if you're a is it penguins or polar bears? That, <laughs> if only Ben were here to tell me, he would know. Uh, my son is obsessed with these animals. The first composer is from Germany. It is G- Detlev Glanert. Now Detlev Glanert was inspired by Hensa and also um, Knussen, the two composers. Uh, his production of Caligula, the opera, was done at English National mm, Opera no, no, in twenty twelve. That's an awful
3: word, Caligula. That really does. I'll tell you, you know,
1: I saw that show, and it was truly out there, truly bizarre. I mean, it is brutal. You talked about George Benjamin's story being brutal. This show was brutal as well, and it was brutal on the ears. That is hard music to listen to. Strangely enough, I saw him outside the theater before the opera began, and I was like, "Oh, well, that's Detlev Glanert." (laughs) Of course. (laughs) The next composer on the list is. I think a a better-known German composer, Wolfgang Rimm, uh, who is extremely prolific, 400 works to his name, influenced by Stockhausen and Boulez, the bad boys of – Rimm was born in the 50s, so these guys are are slightly before his time. His big show is Jakob Lenz, which is this very experimental – abstract piece. We don't have a clip of it. I I can't describe the music. Listeners, I'm going to let you guys figure out yourselves what it sounds like. I'm going to take
2: responsibility for both of those. I was going through their YouTubes, uh, Rim and Glanert, and I could not find anything that we could illustrate their composition in less than a minute. It all sounds so wackadoodle that...
1: Uh, <laughs> I, I think that's fair. Also, <laughs> let me it's let like me just word. say you've done a marvelous job, Oliver, of getting all these other clubs. Off together. Yes. bow down to <laughs>
3: Oliver. <laughs> uh,
1: well, you don't need to do that. Uh, the person you need to bow down to is the woman me. who we spoke about last show, One who wasn't in this, this list, I know, and that is we...
2: Kaya Saryaho.
1: Exactly. If if you listen to the most recent episode of. Uh, opera now the opera podcast you'll hear uh, a computer pronouncing the voice it's the funniest five minutes of of the show and of radio in thank general um so. uh and she has written this uh opera from 2000 uh la Mort de loin oh good uh, job George. thank you very much wow. and it is being done at the metropolitan opera this coming season What else do I need to say about it, other than let's let's take a listen because we're going to hear Monica
2: Group and Gerald Finley from an excerpt from the Finnish National Opera with Esa-Pekka Salonen.
4: you yeah.
1: Flinky-plonky.
2: So, um, you know, one of the most famous French operas is De- Debussy's Pelleas et Melisande, and it is, ends up being one of the most feminine operas that I think of. And here is an opera that sort of reminds me of the voicing of Pelleas et Melisande, and that was so masculine. It was so butch. You know, it sounded like being in space and then like having like guns, you know? I haven't seen the show. Is that
3: butch to you? I don't know. Being in space and (laughs) having guns? Does that?
2: I don't know. It sounded very masculine (laughs) to me, but here we have a a female composer. I don't know anything about gender or race, so I don't don't see gender or race. Even just listening to that
1: clip, though, really (laughs) makes me want to go to the Met and and see this show. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Lastly, on our list, Salvatore Chiragino, and uh, he is, of course, Italian. He has a pedigree of adapting other operas and other works such as Lohengrin or Macbeth or Death in Venice and turning them into his own pieces. His most recent opera, he hasn't done one in a while, the most recent was a piece called Superfluvia from 2010. How are you going to set up this little clip? Oliver? This
2: is easily the most interesting clip we're going to listen to today. And I would uh, encourage you to go ahead and find this article and uh, play the entire, like, five and a half minutes of this clip. Uh, the artists are Maria Ricarda Veseling and Otto Katzemeyer soprano and baritone and this is from an opera called Lucimie Traditrice which is a story of the composer Gesualdo who killed his wife and her lover in Flagrante and then went crazy himself so this clip starts off, like, we're not going to hear all the whole thing, but like the first minute of the clip that's online, is just bizarre noises, and then the singers come in, and they're using it, what we would call extended technique, and even a very kind of unusual use of rhythm that makes them sound not like humans when they're singing, so.
4: Mm-hmm. Eh, father? No, no,
0: Come, mulla
4: stanco di pensare alla tua colpa Dice più. non si parli <susurra> e ciò sempre presi pensi io e, e, per una come e come ha divisa tra due sogni Ha divisa tra due sogni No.
1: Somebody was coughing at the beginning in the clip, (laughs) but that's not part of the show. That wasn't part of the show. But can you imagine
2: having to learn that stuff? And it's all about rhythm and about, you know, these weird noises that they're making. I hope to God, because I'm actually really interested in this show, but I hope to God that they take advantage of the fact that Geswaldo wrote some of the most gorgeous and stunningly haunting, uh, like, madrigals and motets, that they would use some of that music just to add some lyricism to the show. Because if it's, you know, three hours of, you know, I don't know if I could stand
1: that. I know. There's a couple of pieces by these composers on this list that you you do wonder if you'd be able to stand them or not we're going to leave the discussion here but just for the moment we got a couple other things coming up first we got the two minute drill coming up we're going to take a short break with the PSA come back with our uh, Monday evening quarterback our pop quiz and then we're going to complete on this chalk talk segment uh, at around I think it's going to be about 10 minutes from now about who has been left off this list and who we think should be replaced keep it right here On WNUR 89.3 FM.
0: This just in. The two-minute drill.
1: It's time for the fastest headlines in opera news. Everything you need to know from the past week in two minutes tops. Chorus members at English National Opera voted last Friday to strike over proposed layoffs and salary cuts. Members of the chorus, who hold positions with the opera company, will stage a strike during the first act of the March 18 performance of Philip Glass's opera Akhenaten. The strike comes after recent talks between the choristers' union and opera management and the opera, which has faced budget cuts proposed a number of reducing chorus contracts the opera has responded to the strike vote with a statement on its website we're extremely disappointed that the union have decided to proceed with industrial action including a strike new york city opera which emerged from bankruptcy last month under new management has announced the remaining three shows of its season daniel catan's florencia and el amazonas Hopper's Wife by Stuart Wallace, and David Hertzberg's Sunday Morning, which was once supposed to be performed by Gotham Chamber Opera, before that company also went under. There were triple standing ovations at La Scala last week for Georges Pretre, the French conductor who has canceled the most engagements in the past year but was determined not to miss his La Scala debut. He may have received the highest classical ratio of applause to instrumental music. 17 minutes of ovation for 41 minutes of conducting. And that's the two-minute drill. Hey, George Cedarquist here, host of Opera Box Score, America's talk radio show about opera. Now I hear you saying opera ain't your thing, but get this. We tackle everything about opera and body slam it into a sports radio setup. The result? 60 minutes of in-depth analysis, outrageous opinions, and good, clean fun. You might even learn something. Opera class, sports radio crass. Join us for Opera Box Score Monday nights at 9 on WNUR. Opera class.
0: Sports radio class. This is Opera Box Score. Who made the grade? Here's Monday Evening Quarterback.
1: Welcome back to Opera Box Score. I'm George Cedarquist here in studio live with Oliver Camacho. Hello. And Giovanna Jacques. Guten Tag. And guten Abend, Shirley.
3: Uh, it's a daylight somewhere.
1: I, that's very true. It's also our phone here at WNUR. It is literally the one time of the year where we ask you, our faithful listeners, to pick up that phone and give us a call. The number, 847-491-3655. Here's the deal. It's once a year. You like listening to WN, uh, WNUR. We like providing talk radio shows about opera and sports talk radio formats like this one and we want to give you free merch and swag and stuff because you give us money make that call 847-491-3655 and the final third of the show here uh first of all my good friends any quick hits on the uh, two-minute drill
3: 17 minutes of ovation for 41 minutes of music
1: I don't what? quite get the numbers, to be honest. I don't know an opera that's 41 minutes long unless it's like the act of an opera. That was a little confusing. Okay, well, let me
2: just say that Georges Prétre is 91 years old, and he made his debut in 1946 at Opera Marseille. And he's a very old man, and he you know, worked with great, great singers of yore, including Maria Callas. Uh, he studied with Maurice Duraflay, so kind of give you an idea of how, how long this guy's been around. The fact that he just made his La Scala debut is kind of yeah, amazing kind of to me. So yeah. I can understand why they're probably the last time they're going to hear this man over there in Italy. 91. So.
1: They, they my put gosh. him on an IV, I think, after. Um, um,
2: and I also show. want to say that the uh, New York City Opera uh, story is a long, long, long story, and we haven't had really enough time on this show to cover that saga. But this is New York City Opera trying to find its form. Uh, after being you know dark for a couple of years and having big like kerfuffle with general directors and whatnot and uh, we hope we hope that they make it because it 's a really important company for the american landscape it 's one of the few companies that really did bring up American singers and promote american singers and um, on a national level, because they're right next door to the Met, so you know people coming to to Manhattan to see an opera. If there wasn't something playing at at Lincoln, at, uh, at the Met, and they needed to see something, you know, yeah. they would go over to New York City Opera and and hear the likes of like you know Emily Pulley or Samuel Ramey or something like that. You know, Vivica Jeno. You know, it mm-hmm. is. It's, it's
1: a it's a complex turn of events. I have some opinions on it, and I I think we should save it. Yeah. It could really be its own its own huge segment. Uh, so a
2: couple of reviews for the week. I, yeah, go for I, I, it. My tickets for Romeo and Juliet are not until the 11th, so I probably won't be reviewing that show in good time. But mm-hmm. I did see that Paul Appleby can note a recital that was presented by a Collaborative Arts Institute of Chicago, and it was easily the best thing I've seen this year so far. Uh, I have never heard Paul Appleby sing in person. I've only heard him on the radio and whatnot. And he is a gorgeous singer. He reminds me a lot of Matthew Polanzani. Uh, his program was very smart. A lot of Heine settings of Schumann and a composer. And I think Lagne, I think the name of the composer was, he did uh, an Eichendorff set of Wolf and he finished with Berlioz's Les Nuits d'ete, Té, which I thought was written for mezzo-soprano and orchestra, but actually was written for tenor and piano. And wow. so he gave us three of those and they were brilliant. Uh, I have never heard them sung so robustly and so, I don't want to say operatically, but it did have that sort of slancho that you expect from a tenor. Uh, But not to say that he was all about cilantro. He was actually a very detailed singer. He gave beautiful gestures. He was so committed to the text. He did so many things that I love in recitals where he sort of sings off the voice and then kind of pulls the trigger on more important phrases. There was so much spit flying everywhere. Mm. And the continuity of the – he did one long song cycle, which was the um, Heine leader of Schumann. Uh, That's a big commitment to sing that thing. And uh, he made a very clear dramatic arc in it. And it was a great, great. So this recite. is all sounding
1: like an A grade. It
2: was amazing, and he finished with two encores: um, a Villa Lobos song about a samba, which I'd never heard before, I
4: love and
2: then uh, an aria. Finally, he sang uh, Venement from the Wadis of Lalo. And uh, it was an amazing recital top to bottom. And Ken Nota was, I, sh- I should give him more credit because I didn't notice him so much, but uh, Ken Nota was amazing. Ken Nota's also been around forever. So a real pro there, but uh, congratulations to uh collaborative arts Institute, uh, Jane Glover, Susanna Phillips, Nick Pond, were all in the audience. So, I felt like I was in good company. Uh, and then a couple days ago, I saw Northwestern University's production of Leonel de Figaro. You know, it's a college, so they do double cast. I only saw one cast. Uh, but I figure we're at Northwestern. Who knows who's listening to this show? Sure. I do want to give a couple of shout outs. Go for it. Uh, Nathan Ward uh, in a Aww. role that you don't. Nathan Ward, you don't, yes. You don't expect Basilio to be a scene stealer, but no. he was hilarious as as, as Basilio.
3: He's wonderful. Um, so Quinn so
2: Middleman, uh, a mezzo soprano who sang the premier, Chicago premiere of Dead Man Walking uh, here at Northwestern. She was Marcellina, obviously a gorgeous voice. Not that much of a role uh, to show off what she can do, but you can hear that the tone quality is amazing. Jean Ireland, uh, the young lady who sang Carabino, uh, had the most impressive sound, a really edgy voice that cut through the orchestra uh, in a very unforgiving hall. This Con Auditorium where they do operas at Northwestern is awful. Uh, it sucks up voices so badly, but uh, her voice was really impressive in that space. And top honors go to Madison Leonard, who played the extra-long role of Susanna uh, this is a young singer who did the Marilla program, my understanding, mm-hmm. and is going to go on to do Des Moines apprenticeship this spring. Uh, this is a you know a, a Titan. T- I mean, a, a very very long role. I was going to say Titanic. I don't know what I'm talking about, but it's a super long role. And she had beautiful tone throughout. And then you know she saved the best for last. Her Davy non Tardar was exquisite. So congratulations, this is uh, Madison Leonard?
1: It's great. I appreciate the shouts out. And I man, I really wish I could have seen that uh, Figaro. I'm bummed that I missed it. Such moving. a rare, rare opera. I know. I, yeah, I probably won't I have I've another chance. I have never seen
3: it. Only about ten times.
1: Giovanna, you have a new version of the pop quiz for us, right? I
3: do. So here's the game, boys. I'm going to name a composer, and you are going to trade off naming an opera. So it's kind of like hot potatoes for opera, as uh, Oliver described it. So I'll give you an example. Mozart. You're the- going to say one, Oliver. Mm-hmm. George will say one. You'll say another one. George will say another one. Whoever is unable to answer loses, and the round goes to the other person. I'm gonna
1: lose. Okay. And how many rounds okay. are you doing? Three? It needs to be an odd number.
3: Um it will be three. Okay,
1: good. And And for everyone we get right, we're gonna hear
3: Oh, nice. Okay. Yes. Okay. Ready, boys? Yes. Okay, who's going
1: first? That... Should we go oldest, youngest? Yes. Uh. Okay. So
3: Oliver, you go first. <laughs> 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 okay, let's start with Glass.
1: Okay, Akhnaten. Yes. In the Penal Colony.
3: Yes. I, how come I didn't get a
2: ding? Thank you. Um, Apatomics. Yep.
1: Einstein on the Beach. Yep.
2: Uh, The Voyage of Edgar Allan Poe.
3: Yep. Orfay. Oh, wow. That's a deep
2: one. Uh Satyagraha.
1: Yep. Uh, it's not really an opera. Koyaanisqatsi. that your no. <laughs> That's not
2: an opera?
1: I said Koyaanisqatsi. Oh. Is that,
2: that, is that on your it's list? It's a movie. Oh. Um, okay, I think you lose though. Because I was going to say, like a I was th- going to say Fall of the Hall of, House of Usher was my next guess. Oh, No, yeah.
1: you, uh,
3: you win, Oliver. Yeah, you yes!
1: definitely take Sorry, I don't yes. have a wah, wah,
3: wah sound. <laughs> okay. Wah, wah,
1: wah, Okay, I better, I better step it up here.
3: Okay. Britain. Ooh. Let's oh, go, yeah. boys. Okay. Go. I, Come on. Should I go first this yes. time?
1: Okay. Uh, we're going to start with the turn of the screw. Yep. Albert Herring. Yep. That's what I was going to say. Uh, Peter Grimes. Yep. Billy Budd. Oh, that's
3: yep. what I was going to say.
1: Uh, Gloriana. Yep. Noah's Flood.
3: Yep.
2: Uh, the Little Sweep. Yes. Owen Wingrave.
3: Yep.
1: Oh no! <laughs> My on, mind is logging off. Come on! Come on! Come on come think on. of anything. Uh, Death in Venice.
3: Ooh. Yeah, okay. The Beggar's Opera. Yes.
1: Um, the Burning Fiery Furnace.
3: Yeah.
2: Okay. Now I gotta think. Um,
3: five, four. Did you say Peter Grimes already? Three. I
1: did say Peter Grimes.
3: Two. One ding ding ding. <laughs> How come neither of you said Midsummer Night's Dream? Oh my God, I just covered that show too. <laughs> How come neither of you said Midsummer Night's Dream? I love Night that Street? show so much. I can't because
1: you guys. we're under the pressure. Yes. This, okay, can I just say round two? Like, this is round three. Uh, yeah, this, this is, is the decided. decided
3: one. No, no, I was gonna say round two goes to George. Oh okay. Oh okay. Gotcha. Okay. Calm down. All right. <laughs> Third round, Adams. Uh,
2: so who goes first? Y- me. Y- you should go yeah. first. Um, yeah. Nixon and China.
3: Yep.
1: Uh, El Nino. Yep. Dr. Atomic. Yep. Oh dear. Uh, a Flowering Tree. Yep. Crickets. The Met just did
3: an Adams opera that was not very the, not socially. Dr. Atomic?
1: Oh, The Death of Klinkhoffer. Yep. Oh, yeah, I'm done. Okay, oh, I don't Oliver, you yeah. win. Good way to go! Buddy. You can't swan? think of another one uh, for Adams. Yeah. Uh, a how about more, the Gospel
3: there? According to the Other Mary? Uh, I don't know. Oh, that. No, I
1: don't know. How,
3: how about that. I was looking at the ceiling and I saw the sky?
1: Oh yes, that is true. Oh, so i have never
2: heard of that. So oh. that was deep in your brain somewhere, George.
1: It was deep, deep, deep in my brain. Good job, Oliver. Proud of you. Oh, thanks.
2: I don't even like these hoppers. <laughs> <laughs> I do like Midsummer Night's Dream. That's a gorgeous, gorgeous thing. So. Yeah, that was good,
1: Giovanna, I'm impressed. That really up to the stakes. Going back and forth. Yeah, I felt nervous. I got a little sweaty. Well, it was Oliver's
3: idea, so let's give credit where credit is due. Well, I am the creative consultant. We've got a few
1: minutes to return to our opening segment on uh, Chalk Talk, which is to talk about who has been left off this list of the composers and... Maybe the best way to start, actually, is for each of us to name three people who we think are just absolutely critical. If you could have three people on this list and get rid of the rest of them, who would it be?
2: Well, so I'm going to start. If you don't, that's yeah, right yeah, here. no, please. Right, right before we started recording, um, George was able to find the actual list of composers uh, that are represented here uh, on this uh, 100 composers list. That was a really redundant thing to say. Um, John Gay made the list. So I would get rid of him because he only has like one thing that I could think of, which is the, actually the Beggar's Opera, the Ballad Opera. Mm. And I'm sure he's included because of how England kind of fell apart during Handel's era and decided to stop doing opera. And that was like sort of the last thing before it started to go towards like more Gilbert and Sullivan type stuff. So I would get rid of John Gay because I don't think it's that important. And I would put in some more Baroque composers. I was shocked that Luli was not on the, on the list.
1: Oh my goodness, you're uh, I was right. shocked
2: that there's no representation of the German Baroque, which admittedly these operas are not performed that much, but we should talk about them. I would probably put Telemann in that spot.
3: Oh my gosh.
2: And then the high broke uh the high Italian broke is not represented either so I would probably put Vivaldi in that
3: spot.
1: I smell a Ouch. letter to Amanda Holden coming oh, on. Oh, yeah. Vivaldi
3: you. got shafted.
4: Yeah, yeah,
1: that's true. Vivaldi is not on there. Uh for me, I think the the really the three critical p- composers we've talked about are Jake Hedgie, Jonathan Dove and uh, Wolfgang Rim. I mean, just the output of those three guys and the success of those three has just been so significant I'm surprised that Ned Roram is not on this list uh, Ned Roram who did our town Miss Julie three sisters who are not sisters these are all mainstays at least of like the college circuit and the schools of music if not professional opera companies I think he uh,
2: and if Little women you know everybody does mm-hmm. little women
3: that's so. true everyone's
1: absolutely. been doing it Giovanna who's who I agree I think that
3: Heggy needs to be on here I think Dove needs to be no, on Heggy, here Heggy's on there
2: and
1: is
3: no, on there no sorry I, I'm saying all the top three. top three oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. yeah, Heggy needs to be on here Dove needs to be on here and who was I just oh and I think Bolkham I think Bolkham absolutely deserves to be on here mm-hmm. um, he's a he's a huge crowd pleaser I can't get over the fact that Vivaldi's not on here and I can't really think about anything else because I'm very single minded about it right now that makes me very very sad
2: Well, Vivaldi, we got your back.
1: Yeah, you're dead, but. (laughs) The book is called The Opera Guide. It's on Amazon. It's also on Amazon Kindle. What
2: a good advertisement we made for this lady. We should get
1: some kickback. The other thing I need to advertise is this website called Opera Base, uh, which (laughs) you guys always tease me about that, but you clearly don't get that on a uh, (laughs) sports talk radio opera crossover show, statistics are everything. And if you go to OperaBase.com, there's a link to this on our website operaboxscore.squarespace.com you can have a look at uh, statistics on the most performed composers in the world you can break it down by continent I don't think Antarctica is an option Uh, Oh, you can break it down by country as well. You can look at the list of the most performed living composers. You can look at the list of the most performed operas. I mean, you could spend a long time on this. No, you could spend a long time on that. I. This is really good party knowledge, I think, to have this. Um, If you like facts, yeah. Maybe, maybe on another, maybe on another show, I will, I will (laughs) test you. I'm who? I'm like Donald Trump. No, I'm
2: like Trump. I don't care about facts. I just want to be. Oh, you don't care about facts. Oh, exactly,
1: exactly. You have much better hair. We.
2: Do we have time for, uh, mm-hmm. for a good call, bad call? We
1: absolutely have time okay. for good call, bad how call. We
3: how come I'm not on Sh- the lineup for a good call, bad call? It's I have happening the best call of us all.
1: Right now.
2: Can we get our...
0: Thank you.
3: Wait, do I get a good call?
0: Good call
1: of course you get a good call.
0: call on Opera Box
1: All right. Good call, bad call. It's how we wrap up our show. Now, who's going to go first this week?
3: Me. Because I have the best call of us all. And that is <laughs> that I spent my afternoon yesterday with the fabulous Yo-Yo Ma, and I got a picture with him. Nice. And he told me and my boss that we were fighting the good fight. Oh.
1: Way to go. Yep. That was very so, concise and you. really, and I've seen the photos of, of Yo-Yo Ma.
3: I stress cried afterwards. Good for you. Um, I was very, I had an adrenaline down. As you do. And I've, I've met lots of celebrities for, for my ripe 24 years of age, but I never freaked out as much as I did with Yo-Yo Ma.
1: All right. Well, if we're going to go youngest oldest, I will go next. And uh, I'm giving a good call uh, out to Opera Now, the Opera podcast. They just did their 250th episode. Uh, it was a total hoot. I I take my hat off to Michael Rice and to Doug Dotson and indeed to Oliver Camacho. I mean, these guys invented the genre. They will really always be top of the genre. And the show is fantastic. I, I wish you, Oliver, and your collaborators another Two hundred and fifty episodes I think we're going to go to a thousand, so oh, okay, great. I yeah. wish you another <laughs> seven hundred and fifty episodes. Thanks. Oliver over to you uh,
2: My good call is that Haymarket Opera Company, uh, which has been doing amazing work. Uh, is actually doing a little break from opera, uh, I think because the main stage theater where they perform is being renovated. So they're doing an oratorio, and I actually love the idea of using these forces, uh, the band that they put together, and the very capable singers that they're, uh, that they're finding these days. Uh, San Giovanni Battista is the name of the oratorio they're performing by Alessandro Stradella, which uh, takes place the 4th and the 5th of this week. And my bad call is the Oscars uh, for two reasons. Yeah. One because Simwee Joe was supposed to sing, and uh, they got rid of her, um, and I don't know why. But you know, we had Sam Smith and Lady Gaga and and Weekend instead. Oh my god! And I have to say that the little riff between Sam Smith, Dun- Dustin Lance Black, and Tom Daly is embarrassing to the gay community. Embarrassing.
1: Uh, I I can't even uh, mention the Oscars. I'm so glad we made it through 58 minutes without talking about them. (laughs) That's it for tonight's show. Thanks for joining us. Our announcer is Norm Waddell. You can visit Norm on the web at VoxerShorts.com. That's V-O-X-E-R-S-H-O-R-T-S.com. For WNUR, our programming director is Bill Scholnay and the general manager is Maddie Higgins. Our theme song is Vodka Inferno, written and performed by the Diablo Swing Orchestra. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter by searching for Opera Box Score. I guarantee you we are the only social media outlet with that handle. Be sure to like our Facebook page, and if you know people who would enjoy our show, help us spread the word by sharing our posts. You can email us at operaboxscore at gmail.com and suggest a talk chalk segment. What topic would you like to weigh in on? Or you can suggest a TKO matchup for our podcast. Which two opera singers do you want to see duke it out? Our website is com, and there you can stream archived episodes and learn more about our team. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. The next episode is yours for the taking on Monday, March 7. And hey, look, don't just listen to it. You want to leave comments, reviews, and stars. I'm George Cedarquist. Asking you to make that phone call for our phone here at WNUR 847-491-3655. Street Beat is up next. You're listening to WNUR-FM Evanston, Chicago, Chicago Sound Experiment. Giovanna, what's in the crystal ball this week in Opera Land?
3: Um, that I will have multiple dreams about Yo-Yo Ma.